On this episode, I give an update on the Adelson trial. I give my assessment of where the Madison Scott case is. I talk about the Canada-Tampa connection for the disappearance of Michael Samdas. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including turning clocks back. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for November 6th. 2023. Hello, everyone. <laughs> if all of you could only see <laughs> what is, um, going on before uh, I turn this camera on for these live shows. I hope everybody is uh, doing well out there. Got a fantastic show planned for you tonight. And uh, just uh, something that I is not on the agenda but I'll talk about it at least a little bit uh, just because I received something in the mail today, although I can't go deep into it. Um, I'll get into that before uh, these two hours are completed. It has been absolutely some of the, the nicest weather you ever want to see here in the uh, Tampa area, Clearwater Beach, Clearwater, St. Petersburg area of Florida over the past few days. Unfortunately, my disc golf play this weekend could not match uh, the nice weather. It's been, it was bad. But, um, you know, it's just to continue to uh, work on that. But uh, as I always say, when I get this live show started, I hope all of you will give this a thumbs up. If you're not yet a subscriber to the at least the YouTube channel, please do so. If you are watching on the Facebook page, if you're not yet in the group, please request to be in the discussion group. Please like the page. Please uh, share the Facebook page. I want to remind all of you that we also have an Instagram account where I post pictures of the missing people who are featured on Unfound. Uh, we also have a TikTok account uh, where I post a uh, what we might call a preview video there uh, either every Wednesday or every Thursday morning kind of uh, setting everything up for the episode for that Friday. And uh, the TikTok account's actually been doing uh, pretty well. And, of course, the website, theunfoundpodcast.com. And then for tonight, uh, the overlay for uh, the, the video version of this show. If you ever want to reach me, uh, the easiest way to do that is um, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Dot com. Uh, I am the only one who gets those emails in contrast uh, to some of the other places where uh, maybe myself and one or two of my assistants uh, have access to accounts here and there. 
Uh, been on for the Gmail. I am the only person who gets the mail. So unfoundpodcast at gmail.com if you've ever wanted to contact me about uh, maybe some disappearances that you're interested in uh, that maybe we should take a look at. Maybe, uh, you know, something that's out there that I need to know about. Uh, anything like that. Anything that's on your mind regarding disappearances, uh, you can always contact me. If you're a person who is just getting into Unfound and, uh, you know, for the first time and you're working your way through all 300 plus episodes and you ever want to email me, maybe one of those very early episodes early on, something that you hear that catches your attention. The best way to catch my attention is emailing me at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. So uh, give the thumbs up tonight, like, share the Facebook page, join the discussion group, get involved in Instagram, TikTok, the website, theunfoundpodcast.com. We are everywhere. So let's see who is in here on this uh, Monday night. And I will move on to some other things. Um, everything, what's going on? Uh, Charlie, good to see you. Valerie. Um, Hazel says, I got the timer. I thought you guys, uh, we did uh, wind back the clocks an hour, uh, Hazel. We just did that uh, yesterday morning. And uh, so maybe you're a, a little... Uh, misunderstood about what we're doing over here in the United States, which is not hard to understand. Hello, Karen, Melody, and Lisa. Marty is in on time. Everybody note that. Lisa, I missed the beginning of the live. I'm watching a Little House on the Prairie episode, and there is a cliffhanger. You know those are in reruns now, Lisa. If you miss it now, it will play probably somewhere down the road, not too long from now. Hello, Jasmine, Mark. Uh, finally got around to subscribing. I thought I was no longer a guest. Not. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. And um, yeah, Lisa, Barbara, what's going on? Hazel again. And Patty and Kathy and Suzanne, Assistant Carrie, Assistant Cherie, Light, what's say? Hey, uh, thank you. Um, you got Maddie tonight, my most studied case. Uh, Madison, yeah, I want to uh, talk. I am going to talk about that's on the agenda. It's certainly we're going to cover it. Um, and it's going to, you know, like I don't really have any new information, but I just want to uh, maybe give a, an assessment like six. It's been like six months since her remains were found. Just going to talk a little bit about why it could be that really nothing has come out since then. Uh, Shree says, I'm not on StreamYard tonight. Forgot the laptop at work. Okay, Shree. Thank you for letting me know. And twinkle, twinkle, twinkle. Everybody's saying hi to each other. Isn't that nice? All right. Um, let's move into some other things. Uh, yeah, the disc golf was um, not good this week. The first round was pretty good. Second and third rounds, wow. I know how to mess up. Some good play going well, and then it just goes bad so quickly. And uh, it was windy, but it was it was something that I was prepared for, 
and just didn't, I, I thought I handled the wind actually pretty well. Where it was other things in my game that, um, not good. I just can count back and there aren't stressful mistakes, mistakes being made for really no reason. It really reminded me a lot of when I played over in Orlando where I was throwing pretty decently off the tee and then I would find other ways to mess up a basket. I would be like, you know, my first throw would be like a hundred feet from the basket. And for there, it would take me like four throws to get in the basket. I mean, it's really, really bad. Um, had a few, uh, items like that. Not sure. Maybe it's just a concentrate. It's not fear or anything. Maybe it's just a concentration thing. And, uh, I don't know, but it's not the ifs. It's not as bad as I uh, used to be, uh, you know, some years ago where I was just all over the place. Nothing like that at all. Just little mistakes here and there. And over the course of 18 baskets, 19 baskets, or like last week and 25 baskets, it adds up. And it's making mistakes under what should be non-stressful situations. It seems I'm handling like the the difficult shots pretty well. It's the easy shots uh, that I'm messing up. Maybe I'm just taking them for granted or something. But... Uh, I've kind of just written this entire year off. This has not been a very good year for my disc golf career. Last year was pretty good. This year, not good. So we'll just try to do better come 2024. And I've put a little plan together on what I need to do to make that happen. Everything asks, um, do you get to practice a lot at your disc golf? Uh, Everything, not as much as I would like. But I would uh, certainly practice could be uh, one of the reasons that I have these problems with some easy shots very well could be. Um, you know, I try to get out a couple days a week, but that depends on a lot of things. Uh, depends on, of course, unfound always comes first. And if I have uh, ep- an episode to write or record, or I'm trying to track some people down, that always takes precedent precedent over everything else. And then, you know, it just depends on a lot of different things. Do I think that a lot of guys that I play with play more during the week than I do? I think they do. Um, And mainly, and you may say, well, you know, that's kind of weird, Ed. You know, you have, you know, you run your own business, quote unquote. You know, got the little bunny ears up here for anybody can see me. And you say you should be able to make your own hours and everything else. So you should be able to block out time where you can almost, you know, practice at least for an hour, uh, you know, every day, just going up here uh, to Sand Key Park. That's true. But on the other hand, uh, most of these other guys that I play with, they have jobs that if they have jobs, that's, that's a whole other story. But um You know, they're amateurs like I am, and, you know, they're all between their 20s and their 50s. So most of them are in the working, uh, in the the working class of the United States. But most of them probably have jobs where they are required to be there from this time to that time. And then everything else is their time. That's not, that's not me. And in fact, uh, as I've told you, uh, Unfound for me is a 24-7 pursuit. 
I've done interviews at 2 a.m. in the morning. Uh, it's not unusual for me to be up at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night working on the podcast. And, of course, there are things that go on, for example, Sunday on the Think Tank. Of course, Monday nights with the live show. I got to get my writing in for the blog. There's a lot of things that are required uh, that must get done. And so, uh, and it's also one of the reasons that since I started Unfound over seven years ago, that I've never really had what you might call a vacation, where I've put all of the podcasts cast stuff to the side for a week or two weeks and done this or done that. That's never happened. And I anticipate it will never happen. And in fact, even when uh, my mother died, coming up on five years now, I just don't know where the time goes. Uh, But even then, even though a couple episodes did not come up for those couple Fridays around my mother's uh, death, uh, I was still working on the podcast, (laughs) you know, planning for when I would get back to it. So it's just a little, it, it, per, um, I guess perceptually, it would seem like I would have more time to practice than anybody. I, but being that I live by myself and I have my own job and I make my own hours, it's actually the opposite. And, and another thing uh, probably is that as much as I play in the club once in a while in doubles, for me, I prefer just going out and playing by myself for the most part. So there's that. I think a lot of guys um, who do play a lot, who do practice a lot, uh, they really rely on kind of that camaraderie between guys and going out. And after they play, maybe they go out for a beer and all those things. I am not that type of guy. I've never been that type of guy. It's just not a play. It's not just not playing uh, a disc golf, playing disc golf thing. It's been an Ed Denzel thing for pretty much ever. So there's that. So a lot of guys are motivated to get out because they're going to go see their buddies and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. I'm not really like that. Uh, I'm a little, I've always been a little bit of a lone wolf, even though I have some guy friends who have, um, my best, 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 best friends of all time. But really, uh, I really, for a lot of my life, just been a little bit of a lone wolf, to be honest. And uh, the truth is, uh, I really much prefer, I, I enjoy hanging out with my brother, Brian. That's probably an exception. And my brother, Michael, too. But really, when it comes to me, uh, I'd rather much hang out with women than men. And I'm a straight guy. I know that sounds a little weird. That's just the way I am. And as a straight guy, maybe that makes all the sense in the world. But, uh, you know, a lot of guys need their testosterone time with other guys. I do not. Uh, I do not. So when it comes to practicing, I would certainly like to practice more. And maybe I need to think more about that, everything, as we go into 2024. Uh, Twinkle says to put a positive spin in your disc golf problems, you have really mellowed and deal with it better. Uh, yeah, you know, Twinkle, you probably, uh, are onto something there that don't, don't get me wrong. It still eats me up. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but 
this is not the same as like three or four years ago where I had these great fears and things out afraid where the disc was going to go and all these things. It's nothing like that. It's, um, although certainly everybody gets nervous out in the course and the disc don't, we're all a bunch of hackers out there. And we, you know, sometimes we don't know where it's going to go. And I saw a lot of bad throws by a lot of other players this week and I'm not alone, but it's nothing like that. Um, I'm just in a little bit of a trough right now. And really what it really exacerbates at Twinkle is I hate losing. That's what makes it bad. But the other stuff, I've learned to kind of live with it and put it off to the side. I used to, I, I still beat myself up as well as anybody, but I realize like what went on this weekend is all fixable. It's not like I have to go see my sports psychologist again or anything. Um, it's, it's really not as, it's not as complicated as it was like five years ago. Marty, we'll only see a few more months left till next year, maybe 24. I'm hoping it will be. I'm hoping 2024 is better for, better for everybody. Thank you, everything. I appreciate it. Uh, Twinkle says, I worked for myself for 23 years. If you don't get the work done, there's no one else to do it. True, Twinkle. Uh, thanks, Marty. I appreciate that. Um, hey, help find our missing son, Brandon Barron. Hello. How are you doing uh, tonight? Good to see you. I'm uh, taking for granted that's uh, one of uh, Brandon's uh, parents who's uh, in the chat. Maybe everybody wants to say hi. Marty, I don't work for myself, but I do work by myself, so I get it, Twinkle. If the job doesn't get done, no one else to blame. That's right. So the disc golf, uh, actually I have this weekend off, and then uh, then the next uh, tournament would just be a one-rounder over at Taylor. It's an anniversary type of thing. It's still a PDGA-rated round. But um, that'll be over at Taylor, not this weekend, but next week. And you should know, this past weekend, the the second round was horrible. The first round on Saturday actually was pretty good. And then, I don't know, second round. And then Sunday had a chance, even though it was a very, very difficult course at that point, had a chance to really do decently. And I kind of blew what I would say would be, let's see, um, one, two, I blew, out of 18 baskets, I blew three of them. Where I could should have had easy pars, and I took double bogeys. And then there was one where it was a par five, I should have easily taken a five. So that I took four double bogeys in that last round, and none of them should have happened. At all. At all. So that's like eight strokes. And I had I shot eight strokes better, I would have been really, really, really pleased. So it's not like I'm stinking the whole round. I'm stinking for just short amounts of time to the point where it's killing my score. Got to work on it. Uh, Shelly, I was on the wrong page. Hello, Shelly. There you go, Brandon's mother. Hello, Shelly. Good to see you. That's fine. Uh, my friend's niece went missing and posted on the Unfound Discussion page. She was just found Tampa area. River Lawson, thank you for having a place for someone to get the word out. Wow, Lisa, right, uh, right here in the Tampa area. Really? Okay. I'm not sure I saw that post in the discussion group or not, Lisa. Probably I did. But okay, I'm, I'm glad... Um, 
she was just found and uh i i have to ask lisa she was found alive i'm hoping of course so maybe you want to uh let us know on that so that's uh disc golf and i've already i mean i have um three weekends that i'm playing before the end of the year and remember i am going to be going up to pennsylvania in december so I won't be playing anything in December or middle to end of December. And then we're into 2024 and all starts up again. And I've already signed up for a couple tournaments for 2024. So I'm not going anywhere. I just have some things to work on. Yeah, Lisa says she's fine. Okay, very good, Lisa. All right, moving on. Um, of course, we uh, turned our clocks back yesterday. And it's so weird. That changing the clocks by an hour can make things feel so much different, right? That it's not like we're turning the clocks back three hours or something. We're only turning it back for an hour, 60 minutes, not long. But, you know, the half the time, you know, half the length of your average movie. But there's something about just turning the clocks back for an hour that makes it feel like we've turned the clocks back three or four hours. I don't I don't know what that is. I don't know why that is. Of course, I've made the joke as much as anybody that you you turn the clock back an hour and you know it's six o'clock in the evening, but it feels like eleven o'clock. I don't get it. Uh, I don't get it. Uh, Twinkle says, I wish they would discontinue daylight savings time. Well, remember, as somebody pointed out to me, Twinkle, actually what we're on now is regular time. See, me, I think most people are uh, a fan of the way the time is in the United States between like March and this past weekend, where it stays lighter it stays daytime later into the evening i think that's what more people like i know that's what i like this uh you know getting dark at five o'clock or whatever at least that's what happens here in florida i don't not sure how many people are a fan of that so we just have to remember something daylight savings time is what we're on during the summer at least in the in the northern hemisphere in the united states um, it's this time of year that what we call just regular time and regular time stinks. <laughs> I think it does. We just have to live with it because for me, you know, uh, I like to get out and when I do practice, I like to get out in the evening, like at around seven o'clock. Well, you know, I can't do that now. It's been, <laughs> by that time, it's been dark for two hours here in Florida. So uh, everything messes with our body clock, I think. It, it must, everything, way more than we would ever think. So it's so weird. And I even made the joke as I was going to play disc golf, it must have been on Sunday morning, that as I was driving over there, it was like 7.38 a.m. yesterday morning, and I, and I typed out, it's 7.30 a.m. and the sun's already going down. <laughs> Something like that. It's so weird. You know, this whole body clock circadian rhythm thing, it's actually real. You wouldn't think it would be, but it is actually real. And they talk about that 
if you, um, you know, read anything about people who do work odd hours, like pilots, of course, can get into working odd hours. Uh, of course, uh, people who work, you know, jobs that are mainly done a lot, a lot, of course, a lot of road construction gets done at night. A lot of police officers work at night. A lot of, uh, of course, 7-Eleven stores that are open 24-7, you know, they work at night. And it starts talking about the circadian rhythm and, and all that. It sounds like it's all hokey kind of stuff. It's actually real. And I know I experienced that when I worked for 7-Eleven almost 25 years ago now that I had to work some night shifts in, boy, is it weird. It really is. Um, Valor, Ed, what are you doing for Thanksgiving and Christmas? Uh, will you see family? Uh, Thanksgiving, I, w- I will be in Pennsylvania for Christmas, Valerie. I'm going to be up there before December 15th because I'm going to my mother's or my sister's 50th wedding anniversary celebration. And then I'll stay through Christmas and I will come back to Florida sometime between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, I really don't know if my dad's going to be um, coming uh, down this year or not. Uh, you know, he I'm not going to drive him down, I, and he's not going to drive down, I think, anymore, and he doesn't like to fly, so I don't know what's going to happen there. But my plan is to be back here before New Year's. As far as Thanksgiving, I, I will be here, Valerie. Uh, whether I do anything will depend on uh, if my brother and his wife uh, are doing anything. I, you know, I, I really don't know. Uh, if not, I'll probably just make chicken wings for myself. Twinkle, I've had healthcare workers ask me what time it is without me looking at the clock. I've been within 15 minutes each time. That's crazy. Uh, Shree says it's like a cruel joke. Uh, I guess the turning of the clocks. Yes, it's a cruel joke at all our expense. Yes. It's really weird. So that's my take. Uh, I just, you move the clock an hour and, uh, you know, it seems weird. Whereas my perception is when we go the other way, when we move the clocks forward, it still feels a little weird, but certainly not as weird as turning the clocks back. I don't know why. So there you go. Um, those are some intro items for tonight. I want to remind all of you, please, uh, if any of you have any questions, you, some of questions people have already asked me questions, any other questions uh, you'd like to ask me during the show tonight, please type it right there in the chat and I will get to your question as long as it's PG rated and not too personal. Also, if you'd like to support what we do here at Unfound, uh, of course, patreon.com forward slash Unfound podcast. We also have PayPal, paypal.me forward slash pod, uh, Unfound podcast. Or for anybody who is watching on YouTube tonight, just hit the little uh, square with the dollar sign in the middle and you can contribute monetarily to Unfound uh, right there if you would like. Mark says, every room in my office is a different time zone right now. I guess I should finish up getting them all changed. Uh, That was like an episode. It's been a couple different episodes of uh, Star Trek like that, Mark. I think uh, Star Trek Voyager had an episode like that maybe in the seventh season where Chakotay is going through all these different time frames. 
I remember that. Uh, I think moving the time forward in the spring feels worse, losing the hour of sleep. All right. Charlie going uh, the opposite direction, saying turning it forward is worse. Huh. Maybe it doesn't feel so bad for me, Charlie, because I actually like the clocks going to the other system. So maybe uh, that's what it is for me, Shree. Almost 20 of you haven't hit that button. Thank you, Shree, for keeping tabs on the number. Lisa, what is my favorite color, Lisa? Um... Of course, people who know me well will tell you that uh, I dress in a lot of black. It's like I'm some emo teenager. Um, When I go play trivia, I usually wear black concert shirts. I have so many of them (laughs) now. Um, But other than black, and that maybe goes to my rock and roll heavy metal Stuff. Um, when I play disc golf, I usually wear a lot of black. But if it's not black, weirdly enough, it's it's like the unfound colors, black and red. Uh, you know, I, I would not get a car in red because I think that, I don't know, it seems a little too in your face or whatever. But uh, the disc golf bag that I have is black and red. The disc golf cart that I use is black and red. Um, Most of the colors that I wear when I go out and play disc golf, at least for tournaments, um, is other than black is red. So I guess other than black is black a color. Uh, I guess my favorite color is red, even though I can say there are many things that I would not want to own in red. Uh, I really prefer cars in white. Um, you know, I've been told that like greens like look really good on me, like for my features or my eyes or whatever else. But I don't know. Uh, but I guess the colors that I choose to wear when I go play disc golf, at least for PGA, PDGA tournaments, it's black and red. So I guess that's my answer, Lisa. Uh, Mark says, I would rather be in central time. Uh, so that causes to roll back one more hour, uh, hit the thumbs up. Yeah. Emo Ed Marty. Yeah. I thought everybody would enjoy that. Yeah. And kindergarten, my daughter's teacher asked if any kids' parents had to wear uniforms. And my daughter said, my mom has to wear black. I work from home in my PJs. Good for you, Lisa. Love it. And Lisa says her favorite color is blue. You know, Lisa, I used to think that my favorite color was blue. I used to really believe that. But then I start looking at like the clothes that I have. I've only had one car in the color blue. I've actually had a car in, in color red. Um, you know, you, you know, I know blue is supposed to be like the color for guys and everything but I guess it's red. Who would have thunk it? Uh, you know, if it's sure teamwork makes the throw go run. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's move on to, and anybody has any other questions and thank you for the contribution, Lisa, through super chat. Anybody else wants to do that to make sure that I see their question. Uh, you can super chat it by hitting the, the, uh, button the square with a dollar sign 
but you can only do that if you are in, on YouTube, unfortunately. All right, moving on. Uh, I will start where I usually do for unfound stuff, and that would be the Kenny Weaver poll. And the question was very simple. Uh, do you believe that all three guys, Wesley, Bruce, and Roger, know what happened to Kenny? In the discussion group, I think this is might be for the first time ever, at least the last time I looked at the poll, it was 50-50. 50% of the people in the discussion group said, group said yes, the three guys know what happened, and 50% of the, the responders said no, they don't know what happened. I guess that it leaves open to the idea that maybe two or one of them does. But so went 50-50. And in the think tank, and if you'd like to be part of the think tank, that is patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Um, that we, I conduct that think tank every Sunday evening. It is the only get together of its kind where people get together in a very private setting and discuss, analyze and discuss a disappearance uh, in which we throw around a lot of different ideas and theories. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. That sounds like something that is uh, that you think you might like. Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Sign up at the $12 a month level or above. And, of course, you get a lot of other stuff with it as well. And even there at Twinkle, you got Twinkle there uh, saying how great the think tank is. So in the think tank – it was like the same. Uh, most people did not think that all three guys uh, know what happened to Kenny. And I also, my blog that I write, that I talk about at the end of every episode, the, I came to the conclusion that I don't believe that all three of them know either. I could be convinced, though, at least one of them knows. And I think the best choice probably is Roger given that he was supposed to be Kenny's roommate and just the way he's acted over the past 20-some years. Uh, that would probably be my pick. If I only had to pick one, that would probably be the guy. But I also, like, half of the think tank, or most of the think tank, half of the discussion group, do not think that all three guys know. Now, you should also know that, um, yeah, and where, Marty, you were not in uh, the think tank last night, were you? Or were you not in the think tank last night, Marty? Um, in the blog this week, I did go off on police a little bit. And I, I know it's very easy. We have, uh, I know this is totally cliche, so I hate it, but... Uh, you know, we have a very polarized atmosphere, at least in the United States, States, on so many topics these days. Not just concerning politics, but sports and, and everything else. And it's, uh, it's very easy when somebody starts complaining about the police to put them in the category of that group out there that is, you know, defund the police and the police are racists and, you know, you start sounding like lyrics from a Rage Against the Machine song. And on the other hand, uh, there is the idea if you speak well of the police, then you're on that side that 
that thinks police can never do anything wrong and they're on a pedestal and everything else. And I will have you know, I'm not in either camp, if that's possible. If I'm allowed to be there, I am somewhere in between all of that. As I like to say, uh, I'm very, I try to be very realistic about police by always trying to remember that these are humans doing this job, not robots, not androids, not computers being programmed or anything else. But this week kind of did go off on law enforcement in general because we have to find a reason, or maybe reasons plural, that we get so many stories about police trying to evade the responsibility on disappearances. And it's just not from one state in the country. It's not from just one area of the country. It's not just in the urban areas of the United States, the big cities. It's just not in these small communities where they only have two or three police officers in the entire department. It is everywhere. We hear these stories from one coast to the other coast. And I think uh, if I really were to think about some of these disappearances, for example, that we've covered in Canada, maybe some jurisdictional issues have uh, popped up in some of those disappearances as well. So this is just not an American thing. It could be, you know, it's a at least a Western culture thing. Why is that? And I spend um, I spend two thousand some words uh, trying to analyze that reason. What is that right there? Okay. Um, I spend uh, almost the entire three thousand words of the blog trying to explain that, but it has to start with. What is going on with policing today? Why is it that that this is happening? And I think that what we see, at least for on Unfounded, what we hear from guests about jurisdictional issues and, and, and everything, I think that this is just a um, – it's just uh, you know a symptom of, uh, I think, a larger disease. And this is just not one – this is just not a disease all on its own. It's like uh, if you have the flu, then you have a fever. I think that you know the fever is not the disease. You know, There's something going on with your body. You have a virus, bacteria, whatever else, and the reason your body raises its temperature so as to kill that – that's how the body works. You know, That's why you get 102, 103-degree temperature in an effort – to destroy that whatever's in you. The fever is not the disease. The bacteria, the virus is the disease. And the way I look at these jurisdictional issues is I see them as the fever. They are not the disease. They are a sign that something else is going on. And so I get into that in the blog this week. And uh, it's probably, if you have a chance to read it, and you can read it just by going to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And all you have to do to read the blog is sign up for the $2 a month level. That's it. $2 a month. And you'll get me uh, writing at least four times a month there. 
And you also, if you're signing up at the level, you also get the episodes early. Uh, but if you go there, you're pre- you're going to read one of the starkest, uh, I would say, hard hitting, hard hitting, objective uh, analysis, analyses, analysis of what I think is going on in law enforcement and why things seem to have changed over the years. So that's once again the Patreon blog this week. And yes, I eventually do get around to talking about Kenny's disappearance, but let's just all admit there's not a ton of facts to uh, analyze here. In fact, I would say that Kenny's disappearance is, you know, one of the ones where you have the fewest facts of all. I'd have to think about. You know, is it number one? Is it number seven? Is it number 10? I'm not sure, but we've covered some disappearances where there weren't a lot of facts and Kenny certainly, Kenny certainly goes in that category. So then because of that, it's really hard to um, make an assertion as to actually what happened, but I did my best with what uh, we were given. So there you go. That was the Weaver poll for this week. Discussion group 50-50 on whether the three guys know or not. Think Tank, uh, very much in the the, the direction of um, not all three guys know. I also believe that not all three of those guys know what happened to Kenny. And it very well may be that none of them do. Uh, I happen to believe at least one of them does, and I think that my choice would be Roger. That's me. All right, let's move on to um, – let's get right into this. And I'm not going to read this article. This article is a little dated now because uh, Charlie Adelson's trial came to an end today. And without saying too much – Assistant Cherie, moderator of uh, the live show uh, every Monday night for a long time now, um, if I can say, Cherie, uh, she was a little worried that the jury just might buy in a little too much to what Charlie was selling. And I will admit I did not watch any of it. I understand that it was live on Court TV. I've, of course, read some articles I certainly know a lot about Dan Markell's murder. Uh, I think I told you maybe a few weeks ago when all this these this trials got started again that back when Dan got murdered in 2014, of course that was two years before Unfound got started, I was reading everything you could read, and you know, there were pictures out there, and uh, you know, on web sleuths everywhere else. I was really into this. How can a law professor just get shot in his driveway in a fairly nice part of uh, Tallahassee? How can this happen? And then eventually pictures came out of this. What it was it a Prius that was driving away from the scene and you find out that he was divorced and all of these things. And it eventually took a couple years before they charged anybody with anything. Well, Charlie Adelson, who is uh, Dan Markell's uh, ex-wife's brother, and I think a lot of you, uh, of course, know this trial and everything by now, um, was found guilty today, and it really didn't even take that long. Uh, I think it was three hours in a trial that 
it wasn't a long trial. My perception, it was about as long as both of Steve Pankey's trials, right? And there's maybe a little shorter. Um, and Charlie did get up on the stand and the defense that he tried to make was that he kind of suspected that these people did this and he was being extorted and he knew that they did it, but he couldn't say anything because he was afraid for himself and his family. And it was one of these things where, you know, these other people who've already been convicted knew that the Adelsons wanted, wanted, um, Charlie's sister to be able to move back down to the Miami area with their kids. And so these people went about killing Dan. So, uh, and then they said, you know, unless you do this, you do that. You know, we get caught. We're going to put the blame on you because you wanted this done. And so they killed Dan. I mean, Charlie's defense was they killed Dan. So these people could blackmail the Adelson family, which of course is crazy. Uh, uh, got it. I guess you got to give it a shot, right? <laughs> and, um, it only took three hours and here is, uh, what Sheree is saying here. Hold on a second. I was a bit surprised how quick. All right. So Hazel was surprised. Sheree, I was a little worried because people were starting to believe his defense. Thankfully not people on the jury. Um, Sheree, how did you get, um, where were you seeing that the people were maybe believing him with this on web sluice or uh, is there some form that you were going to where people were talking about this? If so, I'd certainly like to talk about that a little bit. Uh, Lisa, I also followed Dan Markel case really closely. So sad. I'm glad they found Charlie guilty. Twinkle seems to me that in spite of all the courtroom antics these days, the jurors are not buying it. Hazel, that's if all jury members didn't read up anywhere, anytime. Yeah, sure. He had to try. But that's what he tried, and it was not successful. I really don't know, some of you may, I really don't know if he was offered some sort of deal before this. You know, if you plead guilty, then we'll only give you this amount of time or, or whatever. I really don't know. But given that they did go to trial, and now that he was found guilty, there is really nothing from keeping the judge, you know, from giving him the maximum. And uh, we, I, I don't, is, could, uh, could the death penalty? I mean, because this is, you know, this is a particularly heinous crime. Um, to go about getting all these people together, planning to kill somebody who was in your family at one point. Uh, you know, your sister's ex-husband and, and doing this, knowing how much this is going to affect their children and all of this. This is a particularly heinous crime, just no different than what happened up there in Jacksonville with that Microsoft executive with the ex-wife getting kind of the same type of situation there. This is a, uh, no doubt, Sheree's saying no death penalty because I have to remind all of you, we do kill people here in Florida. You know, of course, there are many states who do not execute people, uh, criminals, and we have states that have the death penalty still on the table. It's still available, but they never use it anymore. Well, here in Florida, we still kill people. We still execute people. And so, but now Sheree's saying, um, 
Sheree says, I watched on a YouTube channel that's been covering it for years. Okay, uh, Sheree. Uh, Sheree says, automatic life, no death penalty. He will get life without parole. Should be, uh, everything says, should be the death penalty. Hazel, Tallahassee, Democrat, live play of the trial on YouTube. Some people thought the defense had caused enough doubt for a hung jury, right? I just... Uh, I guess what I would say, and I have it here in my notes, that if a jury could find Steve Pankey guilty, then surely, 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 surely they could find Charlie Adelson guilty. And of course, there's much more proof that Charlie Adelson was involved in the murder of Dan Markell than, than Steve Pankey was in the murder of Janelle Matthews. That doesn't mean that Steve didn't do it. But if you're going to find Steve Pankey guilty, then surely Charlie Adelson is easily guilty. But as I went, and it was Sheree who actually texted me earlier today to tell me what the re- results of the trial was, that he was found guilty. And as I texted back to her, I said, um, you know, I said something about, you know, her faith in juries is restored. But I also said, dentists, dot, dot, dot. And Sheree, I know, you know, and I'm not an anti-dentite, you know, the joke that goes way back to the Seinfeld days. You're an anti-dentite. Kramer accusing Jerry of uh, hating all uh, dentists, so he's an anti-dentite. The weird thing for me is that we have to remember Charlie Adelson was a dentist. Very educated guy. But what I will also tell you is that the dentist's who I've known in my life all been kind of weird. Got to admit it. Um, even the dentist who I have here locally, although he did a fantastic job on my teeth, not cheap, by the way. He was a guy that when working on me could kind of go start going off on tangents and things and, Got along with them just fine, but it just seemed to me to be odd conversation given that he really doesn't know me that well. I'm just a paying customer. Maybe he looked me up and saw that I did this podcast. I don't know. But it just seemed weird to me that he would just like kind of start throwing all this stuff out. I'm sure of all of his assistants and dental um, dental assistants and hygienist or whoever else, uh, all know what he's like, but to just start saying some of these things in front of a, essentially a stranger, a little weird, same way in Las Vegas, same way when I lived in Pennsylvania. And even, although I did not know this guy, um, if you can follow this, my biological mother or father's wife not they my biological parents got divorced after i was born in 1970 but he got married again and he married a woman who had a daughter who was married to a dentist and although i never met this guy i have been told by both my brothers and my sister that this guy was a complete kook too uh kind of a you know conspiracy theorist and type of guy who would gladly bring up anything and any sort of company and everything. He was a dentist too. So I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. So maybe, um, 
maybe Charlie Adelson being a dentist and coming up with this conspiracy to kill his his uh, sister's ex-husband maybe then is not so crazy. Given that um, I don't, you know, just like I said, it just seems to me that, you know, whereas I've known plenty of doctors and, you know, I've had several doctors. I've had doctors in Pennsylvania, doctors in Las Vegas, doctors. I have a great doc, two doc, different doctors here in Florida. They're not like that at all. Only the dentists. I don't know why. What's everybody saying? Um, let's see. Uh, that was all squatch. Lisa said, because death penalty in Florida, I remember hearing that's why 10 bunny murdered in Florida. Lisa says my dad was an awesome dentist. Uh, I'm sure he was Lisa. I just telling you my experience. Um, uh, I'm glad I, I all, I, 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 no complaint about the work of the, these dentists. Uh, you are not a raging anti-dentite. Thank you, Twinkle. They have the untouchable persona. I really, you know, maybe three. Hey, so I completely agree with that. But people who have followed it for a long time have learned so much to know he was guilty. Probably. I wonder how Steve was holding up in prison. I'm going to get to that, Valerie. Hey, so if jurors were all completely honest and 100% knew nothing about Don's murder, Dan's murder, I think there may have been some doubt. All right, so Hazel's saying there might have been uh, jurors who maybe just came to their conclusions well before uh, the trial ever started and in the jury selection process, maybe they were not weeded out. I guess it's possible. Everything says it's all the gas those dentists take in. Okay, everything. Twinkle, I read the dentists have very high suicide rates. Uh, maybe, Twinkle. Uh, that could be. Uh, the dentist thing, I swear my dad was a great guy. Lisa, I'm not saying you're lying. Um, I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was. Mark, I just, I just like to find a dentist with a decent command of the English language. Oh, no, we're not going to get into that, Mark. We're not doing that here. Uh, I will have, you know, all of my dentists, um, I guess we might say we're all, you know, uh, what should I say? Western European uh, heritage, just the way it's worked out. I don't know. But we're, we want to stay away from that stuff, Mark. All right, please. So Charlie Adelson going to jail, rest of his life, without parole. And um, I think that's fitting. Now, of course, uh, Twinkle, who uh, messaged me before the show started tonight, was stating, you know, is it possible that some of these other Adelsons are going to get charged too? Could we even get to the point where Dan's ex-wife gets charged now she was up on the stand she of course said that she didn't know anything about it and the point i continue to make is that here she was she wanted to move with her children back to miami from the panhandle of florida like what is that drive seven hours more than that like 10 hour drive from the panhandle down to miami and dan wouldn't let her then just this, uh, I guess, a gift for her was put right in her lap where Dan gets murdered. And it, and she went about changing the kid's last name and all these things never looked back. Never seemingly thought for one second that 
never went to the police and said, you know what? I just want you to know what was going on here that I wanted to move back. My, my, uh, ex-husband, Dan, who was murdered, was not going to let me due to the divorce agreement that we have. And yes, I was mad at him and everything else, but I want you to know that I didn't have anything to do with his murder. She didn't do anything like that. I'm inclined to believe that she knew that they did it. I'm not going to go so far as at this point to say that she knew beforehand that they were going to do it. But once the murder happened and she found out how it happened in his garage, like guys waiting for him to come home and there was nothing stolen. Nobody broke into the house. His car wasn't taken. It was just shot through the driver's side window. She had to know what happened. She had to. She didn't say anything. So I think for some people that could then make them believe that um, maybe she did have an inkling beforehand. Sheree Donald will be the next one. Wendy has been set with a plausible deniability by our family. And for anybody that doesn't know, Donna is uh, Charlie's mother uh, and Wendy's mother. And it does seem things I've read about the Adelson family that uh, Donna is, is the boss and she maybe seemed to be the one of everybody who was so ticked off about Dan and the divorce agreement and everything else. Certainly Wendy was mad about it, but what uh, people have said who knew the, the situation very well back at the time in 2014, it was really, really Wendy's mother who really, really uh, was just in, in a blind rage about all of it. Uh, Wendy drove to the crime scene that day. Uh, Sheree agrees with me. Thank you, Sheree. So that is, and of course, if Donna is charged, we'll continue to talk about all of this. Um, I, think, I think, you know, how does this relate to disappearances? It relates in the way that people will do a lot of crazy things, a lot of horrible things for family. When we start thinking about alibis or disappearances where people have been given alibis by other family members, and of course that even happened with Janelle Matthews, with Norris Drake's mother and sister saying, oh yeah, Norris was home all night until after she, this had already happened. You can't believe that. There has to be more than just their word or whatever else for anybody to believe that. Family runs deep. Now, I will tell you that's not necessarily how I look at family. And I love my father. I love my, um, you know, and my nephew Charlie's in here. Great guy. I always enjoy seeing him. I love my sister, you know, and her husband and, and my brother Michael, brother Brian, and their spouses and everything else. But I'm here to tell all of them. I'm not taking a part in a murder, you know, I'm not taking part in a murder plot with you. <laughs> All right. In fact, if you even bring it up to me, I'm going to the police. And why? Why? Because I'm too good looking to go to jail. All right. I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over. Certainly, there are a lot of men of people who've ticked me off in my life. And maybe once in a while, I think, you know, it'd be nice that that person wasn't here anymore. But I'm always like, you know what? I'm too good looking to go to jail. Can't do that. 
So there's that. Uh, Twinkle, Wendy's mom was the impetus for all this. Okay, Twinkle. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, think that way. Uh, certainly. All right. So that is the trial of Charlie Adelson. And uh, maybe he continue, can continue to uh, pursue his uh, dental career in prison, maybe working on inmates' teeth or something like that. Everything true, Ed. No jail for you. We need you. Thank you, everything. I really appreciate that. Uh, Lisa, you are way too good looking to go to jail. Well, I'm glad at least one person agrees with me, Lisa. You don't have to say that, but that's very kind. You are too good looking to be locked up, young Aussie. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's move on to this. Uh, being that I've mentioned, uh, Steve Panky already tonight, somebody already asked me how, uh, I already said something about, uh, you know, how Steve is doing in jail. And I did say to you that I had something for tonight that just came in the mail today. Can all of you read that? It's kind of blurry. I don't know if it's going to come out or not. But I got my third letter from Steve Pankey today. And you should know that I originally wrote him in July. He wrote back. I wrote him a second letter in August. And he wrote back. And then it took me a while to write him a third time because there were a few things that I wanted to look into before I wrote him. Well, I wrote him and I'm, I, I mailed it maybe a couple weeks ago. There certainly maybe middle October. And here is letter number three. And you should know that it is – I'm not going to show you the, the, the writing. Uh, it is three pages. So this is the longest letter he's written me yet. I have not read it yet. I'm not going to read it. I know all of you are like, Ed, read it, read it, read it. Not going to do that. Maybe I'll tell you about it next week, but I've not read it yet. But I will tell you that every time, every time I've gotten one of his letters, I go right to the last page because I'm like, because you should know. Um, the letters that I've written to him, all three of them have been very pointed. Uh, I do not kiss his butt in any way, just so that he would write back to me. And in fact, I have to say in some ways, I think I've insulted him in some ways. And, you know, he's tried to write, he's, he said a few things in the first couple of letters and, and I write back to him. I'm like, get that out of my face. You know, you're trying to pull that with me. And so I never know what kind of tone the next letter is going to have. And so what I do, so what I do is I just go to the last page and see what the, see how the letter ends to kind of figure out what the rest of the letter is. It's going to be like three pages of him, you know, dropping F bombs and everything on me, or is it something else? I will read you at least tonight, how the, how the letter ends. Okay. Just so you know, um, he goes, he has like uh, seven different points. Well, this is point number seven. Thank you for communicating with me. I appreciate it. Steve Pankey signed it, page three of three. That is how this letter ends, even though it's three pages and it, obviously he has a lot to say. It's all, of course, for me, it's easy for me. I get to type everything out and, you know, print it on the computer. He, of course, has to write everything by hand. 
And so he's written um, three pages, and it's actually dated my mother's birthday, October 25th. So um, I will read this. I don't know if I'll read it tonight because if I read it tonight, then I might never sleep. So maybe I will leave that to tomorrow uh, to read that and then start working on the kind of response. I don't really know what he said yet. I don't know. But he thanked me for communicating with him, so I don't know what to tell you. We'll see what he has to say. But I got letter number three, and uh, it's the longest one yet. So maybe uh, – maybe because the first letter was two pages. The second letter was like a page and a half or something like that. So this is easily the longest one yet. So maybe um. Starting to uh, get him to open up a little bit more. And of course, as we know, Steve likes to talk. So we'll just have to see. Um, Shri says, you need to write a book, seriously. Well, I do know how to write, Shri. I'll maybe have to think about that. Um, You know, the the only thing, Cherie, and I want to put this right there on the record so everybody knows that I'm very well aware of this, that, um, you know, there is an ethics question. You know, a lot of victims' families don't like it when, you know, reporters get involved and they want to write books and write about, you know, some killer in jail and everything else and, you know, Uh, that would uh, that is something that is certainly a concern of mine. The reason that I, if anybody's, if this information is new to anybody, you didn't know that I was writing to Steve Pankey or whatever else. The reason I, I'm I've chosen to do this is because the truth is, despite what a jury decided in in Colorado over a year ago, I. St- you know, except for the prosecution, and I guess except for the jurors, and maybe except for Janelle's family, I'm not sure a lot of people are secure in the idea that Steve Pankey killed Janelle Matthews. Certainly could have. There's certainly nothing that rules him out. But on the other hand, there's certainly nothing that rules him in either as the prosecution proved because they could never put him on the street. So these are the kinds of things for me that that compelled me to write him. It wasn't so I could just say uh, that I'm writing to somebody who's in jail, who's a murderer. I could have done that. I have a former classmate from high school who's in jail in Pennsylvania for murder, committing murder about 10 years ago. I don't know if he would ever written back to me. His name's Chris Patterson, if you ever want to look him up. But, um, you know, if I wanted to do that, I could have written Chris, you know, way back then. By the way, Chris surely did commit that murder. He he murdered somebody over a, a tattoo bill or something, if you can believe it. It might have been over drugs, too. But, um, but with Steve, the reason I chose to do this is because st- I'm still not sure he did it. And so I want to get into his mind to think to try to find out what he thinks about being convicted. And of course he says that he's innocent and there's nothing so far in the first two letters that anything that is damning toward him. 
maybe I'll, you know, being that he wrote three pages this time, maybe, you know, maybe he'll say slip up or something. Maybe. But this is what compelled me to write him. I was involved. I got to know him. Hung jury first time, convicted the second time, but there's still a ton of questions. And that's why I chose to write him. Not because I'm planning to write a book, not because I'm a true podcaster and I want to have it on my resume that I'm communicating with somebody in jail. It's nothing like that at all. It's all for information purposes uh, and education. And who knows, in dealing with Steve, maybe it can help me understand disappearances and situations like this better. That's why I chose to do it. And of course, I still have a lot of questions about Janelle's disappearance, my insight as an observer. And what I'm trying to do is get Steve's insight into it, whether he murdered her or not, his insight into some of these. And so far, I would not say he's getting me a a lot of insight. Maybe that changes in this letter. We'll just have to find out. Uh, everything says he's not guilty. Charlie, you have the ability to be objective regardless of beliefs. You do it all the time. Thank you, Shuri. Lisa, I don't think Pancake did it, but if he did, I agree. That's not, there's not enough evidence. It's just an idea. I realize Shuri. Uh, and I, 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 you know, I get it. I get it. Um, you know, Steve and I, you know, I'm the only person who has this kind of relationship with Steve. Because I'm the only one who took him up on being interviewed for a podcast in a true crime, you know, the true crime world. I'm the only person who took him up on that. And then on top of that, doing an interview, although it was horribly recorded, the audio, every time I listen to it, it's like, man, that audio is really bad. Um, to it be so important that people deemed it important enough that I got called to Colorado twice. I'm the only person on this earth that has that kind of connection to Steve. It's weird how we two are are connected like that. So, because no other reporters, I don't think got called to the stand he did do some other interviews, so maybe one other one, but that was just like with somebody locally in Idaho or wherever he was living at the time. Um, that person did not get called to the stand. There was nothing in that interview that anybody felt compelling at all. So I just felt like I needed to continue this. And it very well may be that he's guilty and one of these days – uh, before he dies, being that I've built this rapport with him, he might confess to me. Maybe. On the other hand, you know, maybe this will go in a totally other direction. But I only did it because of my curiosity with the entire thing. Uh, Valerie, starting to think I'm psychic. Why did I ask that? And you got a letter. I know, Valerie. It's kind of weird, huh? Stop reading my mind, Valerie. Stop reading my mind, please. (laughs) Shree, what was the lotto numbers, Valerie? That's funny. Lisa, I love the way you did that interview. You asked tough questions. I want to remind everybody. Steve answered every question I asked. Now, we now know he lied quite a bit. But he did not evade any question that I asked him in that interview. 
it's always something that sticks out. All right, move on. Let's. Uh, so, uh, if you want to tune in next week, I'm not sure I will be able to read every word of this letter, but um, I'll surely be able to give you uh, a generalization of it if I can't read anything specifically. I will certainly give you a very honest, objective overall tone of it. Thank you, everything. I appreciate that. Let's talk about this. Little did I know uh, that a disappearance uh, that I watched on an episode of that show on Paramount Plus, uh, never seen again. Imagine somebody calling a show that. That's, That's my tagline. Thank you. Little did I know that one of those episodes that I just watched a month ago would end up playing out and be resolved right here in the Tampa area where I live. Michael Samdas, uh, Canadian. I'm going to read some of this to you. It's a very long article. I'm just going to read uh, some of it. On a warm May evening, with daylight still left, a 30-year-old woman was out for a long walk on the streets of Hyde Park with its oak-shaped bum- bungalows. This is Hyde Park, by the way, here in there's a Hyde Park area of Tampa. With its oak-shaded bungalows, swanky shops, and bustling bars and restaurants, she would later tell police she didn't think anything of it when she passed a homeless man. Then he chased her. The man grabbed her by her ponytail, slammed her to the ground, punched her in the face again, and again he laughed, according to police reports. Afterward, the man said something about God, a witness stated. A lawyer walking home with his family from dinner at a restaurant heard the woman's cries and ran to the scene. One of several people tried to help. He fired a shot from his handgun. He had a concealed weapons permit, but no one was wounded. The woman, later quoted in TV news reports, suffered a broken nose, a concussion, bruises, and abrasions. She has publicly been identified only by her first name, Taylor. The Tampa Bay Times is not including her full name because she is the victim of a violent crime. I never talked to him. I didn't provoke him. There was no reason. I've never seen a demon like I saw in that man. When police arrested a man on nearby Bayshore Boulevard and took him to jail, he gave the unlikely name of Ezja Beezlebub Nadopa. Beezlebub being a name for the devil. In fact, the man accused in the attack had a different name and a backstory from more than a thousand miles away. Investigators would learn he was Michael Samdas, 44 years old, and he had vanished from Canada more than three years earlier. So any of you who have the... Um, Paramount Plus on your smart TVs, if you go to the show Never Seen Again, which is a disappearance show, although the episodes are only like 25 minutes long, this is one of the episodes. Michael Samdas, S-A-M-D-A-S-S. And he went missing from Canada over three years ago, and he was a guy who was into real estate. He comes from a very good family, very educated. And as I will read, he worked in real estate. He had a close family. He was the kind of person who took care to make sure his socks matched his tie. An image that bore very little resemblance to the matted hair inmate with the penetrating eyes in his jail mugshot. Of course, it's your brother. His oldest sister, Risha Das, said about his mugshot. It was just not a version of him I expected to see. Like Jekyll and Hyde. Michael Samdas was the middle child of five tight-knit siblings in a family that immigrated decades earlier from Guyana 
to Hamilton, Ontario. I know where that is. I go by that all the time when I've gone to Canada fishing. The family started out poor, she said, but built a comfortable life. Her brothers played sports and went to art school for a time. As a teenager, he got in trouble for robbing a convenience store to pay for, to pay for photo day at school. As an adult, he worked in a real estate business, renovating and flipping houses. Family photos show Sam Des with neat hair and bookish glasses. He's playing with toddlers, dancing at a wedding. Friends and family called him outgoing. Several years ago, though, they started to notice changes. He stopped returning calls, stopped going out, stopped caring about how he looked. He slept a lot. He began talking to himself like he was talking to the clouds. It was like Jekyll and Hyde, friend Mara Casagrande said in a TV show about his disappearance, that TV show being never seen again. Sam Des began having outbursts, including a violent one against their father in 2017. His neighbors nicknamed him Rant, R-E-N-T, and said they sometimes heard him yelling. He was charged with disrupting the peace after an altercation with a bank teller. He was also involved in a confrontation with a homeless person. In 2017, family members tried to get him detained for psychological evaluation and treatment under the country's Mental Health Act. Every time he got a test there, they said he was perfectly fine. Four times they released him. He vanished on September 5th, 2019. He left behind his cell phone, laptop, and car. His bank account showed no activity. The police investigation stretched on four months, then years. The family offered $25,000 reward for information. Missing persons organizations got involved. There were posters and searches of shelters in city streets. And as it says, two years in, Paramount Plus aired an episode about Sam Das in a series called Never Seen Again. But for more than three years, nothing until a violent attack far away. Das said a missing persons group using a facial recognition program got a hit on a jail mugshot in Florida. Fingerprints from an inmate at the Hillsborough County Jail calling him Nadopa were a match. In Canada, two officers came to the family's door. He's alive, they said. It's terrible what happened. Das said of the assault and the victim, terrible. I hate to know more. I hate to know what she's going through. So if you've heard about the disappearance of Michael Samdas in Canada, he was eventually identified as this homeless man who assaulted this woman this year here in Florida. Now, how did he get from Canada to Florida? I don't think anybody knows that. I don't know if if they were, you know, I don't know what kind of treatment he's going to get. Is it possible to put him on some kind of medication to kind of even his mental illness out? I don't know. But somehow he was able to get from Canada in the United States. And of course, uh, I guess if you really want to, it's not very difficult to get into the United States from Canada. You have to remember that um, Canada and the United States share a very, very long border, much longer than we've shared with Mexico. And a lot of it is not monitored, monitored at all. I know, at least in the United States, we hear so much about the southern border. But the northern border of the United States uh, with Canada – not, you know, there's no fences and barbed wire out there. Yes, if you go through the official places, I guess you'd like in Buffalo, you go across the Peace Bridge, which is actually very near 
Hamilton, Ontario, and I've been across the Peace Bridge uh, many, 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 many times. It's a fascinating area, by the way. If you, it's right there by Niagara Falls. Of course, there, if you're in a car and you're going there, you got to have your passport uh, to get in. And when you're coming back from Canada, if you know, you're an American citizen, you have to explain why you're in Canada. You have to have your passport again and, and all of that. But, of course, there are a lot of ways to get from Canada and the United States without doing all of that. So did he hitch a ride? Did he walk? I doubt he walked from Hamilton, Ontario to Tampa, Florida. So who gave him a ride if he was really in this kind of condition with this mental illness and acting like he was acting? Who would really want to be uh, in a car or truck or 18-wheeler with him anyway? I don't know. Did he jump on a train? I don't know. I'm hoping that we actually do find some of these things out. It would be very uh, interesting to me. But um, never could I have suspected. It seems that by the time that I was watching the episode that this assault and everything had already happened, but it was only recently that he got identified. Now I will tell you that when I watched that Never Seen Again episode, of course I never could have predicted he would be found in the United States. Who could predict that? But certainly I was open to the idea that he wasn't dead. There was nothing of a foul playing nature that was going on with him. Even though he had this mental illness, uh, there was no allegations that he was involved in any criminal activity. There's no allegations that he was into drugs or anything else. This was just a good old-fashioned, unfortunate, of course, mental illness. And so that got me thinking, well, he's in Hamilton, Ontario, Toronto, Ontario, the largest city in uh, Canada. In fact, Toronto as a city is large even by United States standards. It's a huge city. I'm thinking probably homeless. I guess I got that right. Little did I know uh, that the city would be Tampa, not Toronto or Toronto. So that is, if you've known about this disappearance, it seems like his disappearance did get a lot of attention simply because his family... um, you know, it was really out there, really publicizing uh, his disappearance. I think it was also got a lot of attention because, you know, he, you have to remember, he's 44 years old. So it seems like these this mental illness did not really start to, um, you know, uh, affect him until in his 30s, which is fairly rare. If people are going to show signs of mental illness, usually starts up popping up teen years into early 20s. You, of course, unless you start doing stuff. And, and if you start putting chemicals in your body that shouldn't be going in there, then anything's possible. But I don't think that was the situation here. I really think this is some sort of late blooming kind of mental illness that started affecting him in his 30s. And uh, so I was certainly open to the idea that he was homeless, but I'm not sure if he really didn't remember him watching the episode. I didn't remember that he was that old, that he was 44. But here's what I also know. It was only facial recognition that could have been, and everything's even saying this in the, in the poster, in the, the, 
the comment in the chat right now that if you were to see a picture of him in Canada when he was taking care of himself, and if you were to see the picture of, of them, what they have of him here uh, now in Florida, you would never think that was the same guy. And this is one of those reasons why, you know, I know once again, I, I realize this would be a very, very controversial statement, but this is why flyers don't work. You know, I know that's what a lot of families do. And then we always have these talks. They put the flyers up, they get them ripped down, and everybody goes to Cookville regarding, oh, it's some conspiracy. I don't think that, but. But this is one of the reasons that flyers usually don't work. 99.9% of the time, flyers don't work. Because a lot of these people, if they have gone off, if they run off by the own, here's what I know. Uh, for guys, they're probably not still shaving and, and doing upkeep. And if it's a woman, if you're homeless, you know, you, you know, what are you doing? You know, you can't do your hair and everything. It's not going to be too long before neither missing men or missing women are going to look very much like they did in their everyday lives before they went missing. This is kind of, I, I realize that this is controversial and I realize people, families put those flyers out there because they want to feel like they're doing something. But how often do flyers solve disappearances? Not very often. This is why. And of course, I've talked about dogs the same way. Dogs, for the most part, don't solve disappearances as much as they, they're you as they're used. So um, Rockford, I bet the number of unfound cases where a person is still alive and homeless while not high, as close to say 10% would surprise us. I bet we could agree on some likely candidates. Rockford, I'm glad you, because uh, I do have that in my notes here. I'm going to get to that in a moment. Thank you for bringing that up, though. Very very nicely done. Everything. Uh, he looks a lot different. Yes, everything looks all scruffy, right? He has dreadlocks, right? It doesn't look anything like the pictures that were provided of him when he went missing in Canada. You just would never, at least to the human eye, you would never put them together. Um, whereas I guess facial, facial recognition, of course, it creeps us all out. I guess it's working better than the human eye now. I guess, uh, you know, when does Skynet, uh, <laughs> you know, become uh, sentient or whatever that line was from the Terminator movies, uh, I guess. But going back to something that Rockford brought up that I had in my notes here, you know, what does this mean to us? Could some of Unfound's people be homeless? Of course, the answer is yes. All right, absolutely. When we get to 307, 308, 309 disappearances that we've covered so far, uh, of course the answer is going to be yes about the possibility. But I think the number is still very, very low. Now, it very well may be, uh, you know, of course we have had some disappearances recently where people were alive. Brandon Roberts, Alan Glasgow. And although in Alan's case, case, I don't think he's homeless. I think Brandon Roberts was homeless. So to your point, Rawford, I guess that kind of does show the, 
yes, it exists, but I still think that the number is very, very low. And I think what we have to throw in there, at least something to remember, is that if we really want to draw, you know, an apples to apples comparison, we have to think about how Michael was not into drugs. The reason he was acting this way was not because of drugs. It was because just a straight mental illness. And when it comes to that, Rockford, and I really have not, I have not had the time to go back through every disappearance that Unfound is featured. But I don't know how many disappearances we've covered where the person had a mental illness and didn't also have some kind of addiction. I think that's very rare. Now, one that comes to mind is Renee LaMana. She was a young woman who had a mental illness and had had one for a long time, but did not have any other, you know, did not have any self-destructive behavior, no addictions or anything like that. However, I will tell you that I don't believe that she ended up being homeless. I still believe that she ran off and died somewhere out there in the Atlantic Ocean City, New Jersey area, and she just hasn't been found almost 30 years later, despite people saying that they did see her. And if you don't know that disappearance, I think that disappearance uh, was very early on in Unfound's existence, maybe 2017, and I think she went missing in 1994. So I'm certainly... I guess that falls into the same court category as Michael Samdas, but I'm just not so sure how many disappearances we've covered where it was just straight mental illness. Because we have to remember mental illness isn't going to, it isn't necessarily going to kill you. A drug addiction is going to kill you. You know, of course, you know, cocaine, heroin, Whatever, you know, of course, if you're sharing needles, then if it's not the drug, it's going to be an infection or whatever else. Whereas mental illness, I think what we've seen is that people with mental illness can still figure out some way to survive on the streets. They figure out ways, even though many of them can be very violent and they can become criminals and everything, but they still know how to feed themselves and they know they need water and all these things. They just happen to look at, at, at the world in a way that doesn't go along with reality. I'm not so sure how many disappearances we've covered like that. Uh, maybe, you know, Kathy tends to be the unfound historian. Kathy, I'm not trying to give you work or anything. But maybe if you wanted to go down through and think about that. But just the one off the top of my head, Renee Lamont. And now this is in contrast to... Maybe some disappearances that we had where we think people really did run off. They didn't have a mental illness. They didn't have any addiction, but they just didn't like their life the way it was, and they took off. Now, we know that happened with Patrick Reed. We know that happened with Alan Glasgow. But still, that would then be in a little separate category from Michael Samdas because I, I, we just don't know what was in Michael Samdas's head. Why did he choose to come to the United States? Why did he choose to come to the Tampa area? I don't think he knew anybody here or anything. I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows. And it may be that he can never explain it. I just have to know a little bit more about how he's being treated. And maybe there is a certain concoction of medications that can get him to a point where he can explain what's going on the last so many years since he's been missing and how he got from Canada to Tampa and everything else. Hopefully. 
I don't know if we'll ever know those answers though. Um, yeah, weird, interesting story. That poor lady, scary. Yeah, she's lucky she didn't uh, didn't get killed. Rockford Flyers also can throw a case off track for reasons ranging from well-meaning people who make honest mistakes to tempting people who want to insert themselves. Both can lead to a lot of wasted time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but for me, uh, I always look, I keep saying, I'm for what works. I'm not for what doesn't work. And this is why I say dogs don't work. Flyers don't work, even though those are things that are are very popular when it comes to the investigations and disappearances. They don't work. Rewards don't work. I'm for what works. I'm not for what doesn't work. Jackson Miller, that's another good one, Rockford. Can't really put uh, Cameron Remmer in there because it very well could be that Cameron was sampling his own product. But Jackson Miller could be one. Sure, from the San Francisco area, that's a very good possibility. Kathy Rockford, I think Jackson harmed himself. I personally think very few of Unfound's disappearances that the person is still alive. Okay, Kathy. So uh, this one really hit home uh, uh, hard to me because um, and because it's the Tampa area. And, and what's really weird about it, although I don't go over to Tampa very often, but uh, where this hall happened, I'm fairly familiar with this area. I've been to that area a couple times in the last few years. It very well could be that I drove right past them. Of course, I didn't know who he, who he was. See, the, these are the kinds of things that can, you know, can creep you out when a disappearance gets solved very close to where you live and you start thinking, well, did I encounter that person at one time? Did I pass that person? So that is the disappearance of Michael Samdes. I'm certainly happy for his family uh, that he's been found, that he's alive. I certainly hope that he can get treatment. But on the other hand, I also hope that he's put in jail as long as it takes for whatever the penalty would be for him uh, assaulting this woman. And I'm hoping that they will only let him out of a facility uh, if they are sure that he can manage this mental illness, because we know this isn't something that cures itself. We know that if Michael is going to be on this earth for he's 44, let's just say another 30 years, he's going to need medication. And can he be responsible enough to take it for himself? I think that that's a big uh, question mark. And I think we know the, re the reason we have a homeless population in the United States and a lot of these people have mental illness is because these people uh, have not been capable or not able to continue to take their medication on their own. In fact, a lot of them talk themselves out of it. Well, I'm fine now. I don't need to take it. Uh, Twinkle, Kathy, what about the episode not too long ago? The young mom was last said to be seen getting beat up by two guys. He was the one that was given a free food at a restaurant. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's just a few rock for Kathy Twinkle. Not ringing a bell. Let me think about what case that is. Oh, look, too. They took him behind a building. Had a friend up the hill, I think. That's not ringing a bell to me, Twinkle. Okay. So that is the disappearance and discovery of, of uh, Michael Samdas. So let me now get to Madison Scott. We talked about this 
uh, early on, and I said I would get to it. Sorry, other things to cover tonight. Um, if you don't know, this is a disappearance that went unsolved for a long time. Madison Scott went to out to a uh, nature area uh, out there in the Vanderhoof area of Canada, and she went missing. And her truck was still there, her tent was still there, and she went missing for a long time. A lot of different uh, theories out there. Did she get into a vehicle with somebody and get abducted? Did she choose to disappear? Was she suicidal? Did she just walk off into the woods by her on her own and kill herself? But then in May, her remains were found on private property on the, in the Vanderhoof area. And it's really not possible that she walked. I'm still not saying it's impossible. Certainly somebody who was physically able could have walked it, but nobody really believes Madison did that. She was found on private property in the Vanderhoof area in May. And I've done my best uh, to try to figure out if there have been any developments since May. And the answer is no, at least nothing publicly. Nobody's been charged with anything. If you uh, look out there, uh, you can find the name of the owners of the property, and I'm not going to say what the name is. Um, but it is curious. So May would have been the fifth month. So it's been like over five months, and we haven't heard anything, despite it, it being that I think that her remains were buried on that property the problem we have, at least you know, in doing as best research that I could for tonight for this live show, is that you know, uh, were these people who own this property out there where she was that night? Um, I don't know. I don't. I've tried to figure find that out. A lot of rumors that they were, but I haven't seen anything factual. So how is it? Did Madison, did her family know these people in the Vanderhoof area? Did she know, did this family have some son that, or daughter around Madison's age? Did she get it? Nobody seems to know anything. And so you would, I mean, let's, let's just put it this way. The remains were found on somebody's property. The prop, the, 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 the remains were buried, I believe. So somebody was trying to hide something. And five months later, nobody's been charged with anything. So what, what could the reasons be? What could be the reasons? Well, one, maybe they haven't been able to determine a cause of death. And I even have in parentheses Tom Brown. Now, of course, Tom Brown's remains, the ones that were found, were not buried. They were right there laying, just laying on the ground as Pine Gregory found them. But it could be that despite her remains being there and maybe being buried, that there's no signs of death, unlike going back to Steve Pankey, Janelle Matthews, who was her remains were also buried. But when she was exhumed, when she was found, and she was found with a bullet hole in her head. So there was a cause of death. What could some other reasons be? It could be no proof these people met Madison that night. No proof these people knew Madison at all. So then we have to start thinking, is somebody trying to set them up? Uh, There's no proof that the party, 
no proof that the per- people who own that property, who live on that property, were at this party that was being held where Madison was that night. So we just don't know a lot. And what's weird to me, even if you go to some place like Web Sluice, which, you know, they have moderators there, but, you know, you can get, I wouldn't say a lot of people go to Cookville, but you do usually uh, get a little kind of feeling at Web Sluice, like the, um, you know, sometimes locals will get, you know, say, well, here's what the local hubbub, here's what I'm hearing through the grapevine. You can see that on quite a few different threads uh, and forums on uh, Web Sluice, and there is nothing like that. And I took the time from May uh, in the thread concerning Madison Scott, I took the time to go through pretty well, maybe 75%. Go through the thread from May till now regarding Madison's uh, disappearance and death, and there's really nobody really saying much of anything. There's nobody that's gone on there and said, you know what, I was at that party last night, I was at there that night, although I didn't know Madison, but I was there, and you know what, those people were there. There's nothing like that. So that is uh, that's interesting to me because usually in situations like this, this is what you get because people, as all we know, we all know people love talking about this stuff. You know, people unfortunately love being connected, not connected to stuff. Now, of course, if they have something relevant to add, like I saw Madison get in a truck or a car or something, then of course we want those people to come forward. But we know a lot of people will come forward who don't know anything but we'll still want to talk about it because they're from the area and anything else. And you just don't see that on web sluice. And as you know, I don't go to Reddit because that's not moderated. People can say anything there. So in addition to all this, here are some other, and these are once again, questions that aren't that I haven't seen answered yet. If you have any answers to any of these things, please put them in the comment section here, but we don't know what led to that property in the first place. Being that it was private property, it wasn't like some sort of uh, like we have National Park in the United States and people are just, you know, walking through and stumble upon remains. That most likely did not happen with Madison Scott. That somebody, you know, John Smith, you know, is on uh, Jane Doe's property and John Smith just happens to come across uh, Madison Scott's remains. I'm doubting that happened. I'm doubting it. So what led to that property in the first place? In addition, why was the warrant served? How did they get permission to go on there and then dig her all up? None of this is known. And and I've looked. I, I realize there are some people who are real, 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 real heavy experts on Madison Scott's disappearance. And everything that's gone on and have been following this, especially since May. If you are hearing my voice or you're watching tonight, please, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. I would like somebody to try to answer these questions for me. I'm, I'm just definitely curious about this. What led them to that property? Who are these people? Do they have a connection to Madison Scott? 
Do they have a connection to the party that was being held where Madison Scott was that night? Why was this warrant served? Was she buried? Is there a cause of death? If anybody knows and can offer, um, you know, uh, if you're going to email me, you're going to have to back it up. You know, I just, I'm just not going to take you at your word. You're going to have to give me uh, uh, some sort of reason that you know this stuff, that I can look into your background and everything else. But please, Unfound Podcast at um, gmail.com. Uh, light says, no, please do not, uh, do not, please, uh, Light, please do not say the names of the owners in here. Please do not do that. Because we don't know if they were involved or not, and I'm not here to cause problems for them. If people want to find it, they can go out and find it themselves. I just don't want it coming back to me. Um, thinking of Seamus Twinkle, Joe Ackridge, I don't think he's alive. Twinkle, Seaman, you're, uh, I don't know uh, some of this conversation. Charlie, I'm thinking of Seamus Gray. I've heard the name. That's about it. Rockford, regarding Madison Scott, could it be that they don't know which person living at or I had access to the property to charge? doesn't have to be a conspiracy and there could be multiple viable candidates. It very well could be Rockford. Um, but what I'm thinking here is it's been five months. It's a very high profile case. Um, and, you know, it's been one that's had a documentary made out about it and everything. And you think they'd be very motivated to get to the bottom of this. And here we are five months later. Maybe they don't have anything. I don't know. Uh, of course, you know, we look at maybe like Janelle Matthews. Janelle Matthews was missing for 35 years. Her remains are found. And like less than three weeks later, Steve Pankey's getting all sorts of, you know, warrants served on him and subpoenas and everything else. Now, of course, he wasn't charged until over a year later. But. When that happened in 2019, it was all over the news and everybody knew everything that was being done. Um, with Madison Scott, it seems like it's the opposite. And so I'm wondering why. Karen, thanks for the show. I'm going now to watch the Melbourne Cup. It's a horse race. Bye. Oh, you're ditching the live show for a horse race, Karen? Okay, I like horse racing too. All right. Hazel, some hmm, Ed Websleuth is moderator enough to ban me last week. Well, what did you do, Hazel? They do have moderating. I mean, they do. And I didn't know you could get banned there. But uh, Hazel, what did you do? Maybe the, the rest of us would like to hear. Uh, what case are you talking about? I'm talking about Madison Scott, Facebook user, whoever you are, Facebook user. I'm talking about Madison Scott, a young woman who went missing near Vanderhoof uh, in Canada. Very, very probably one of the um, maybe the most well-known disappearance of a of an just your common person in Canada. Uh, her family has done a lot of media, although I have to admit that I did talk to her mother some years ago, and she did not want to be on Unfound. And dare I say. From my point of view, the, the conversation wasn't even very pleasant. <clears throat> Not that I hold it. I'm you know, just telling you the truth. But uh, that's what I'm talking about. So I just have all these uh, questions about this. It just seems like it's gone a little differently than when Janelle Matthews remains were found. 
uh, especially since it was so high profile. Uh, Kathy Twinkle, there's only one in 23.3 that might fit what you're saying. I typed it a while ago. He was a 53-year-old guy living with sister. Rockford says, maybe the Canadians are lining up one of their infamous Mr. Big Traps. I don't even know what that means, uh, uh, Rockford, but maybe you can explain a little bit more. So we just don't know a lot. All we know is the remains were found on this property back in May, and since then, nothing. Nothing. I'm guessing somebody is doing something somewhere, uh, but we don't even know how her remains were even found on that property. Was this some sort of tipster line or something? We don't know. And I have to admit, given that it was so high profile and they find her remains and it's on private property, that usually lines up to the idea, well, somebody's going to get charged with something sometime. Not yet. So maybe the uh, wheels of justice in Canada turn even more slowly than they do in the United States. But I'll, it was just something that popped in my mind. There's really nothing that's, there's nothing going on. It just kind of popped into my mind within the last couple of days that, oh yeah, what's going on with that? And the answer is nothing. And so that's what I'm passing on to all of you. Rockford, oh, you have to look it up. It's an entrapment device they use that is, Illegal in the United States. Mr. Big Traps. They're doing that stuff. Uh, I uh, Okay, I'll have to look it up. Everybody can now look up what Rockford's talking about. Uh, the Mr. Big Trap that they use in Canada. Okay, everybody can look that up. Um, what else do I want to talk about? Oh, yeah, I want to talk about this. And uh, – you heard me talk about a couple weeks ago that John Fitzpatrick was found. His remains were found. This is the guy who was with Fang Jin. This is the most recent episode of Unfound Now. Well, unfortunately, her remains have been found now as well. There are new developments in a missing persons case involving a former Navy SEAL and a Chinese tourist. More human remains were found in the Anza Borrego Desert over the weekend. The remains found on Saturday are believed to be those of missing Chinese tourist Fang Jin, 47 years old. According to an attorney associated with the case, who spoke to a private investigator hired by Jin's family. The remains are believed, are believed to be those of ex-Navy SEAL John Patrick, 52 years old, were found by a camper on September 17th in Harper Canyon. All indications are that they found remains on Saturday. At the request of San Diego Sheriff's investigators, Fitzpatrick's autopsy has been sealed. The San Diego County Medical Examiner's Office has not positively identified either set of remains, though the families of both Fitzpatrick and Jin have been notified of the discoveries. Uh, The missing persons cases of Fang Jin and John Fitzpatrick are still active, and there's no update at this time. Our department has learned from the San Diego County Sheriff's Department that human remains were located over the weekend in Anzo Borrego area. The San Diego County Sheriff's Department did not respond to a CBS 8 request for comment regarding the discovery of the remains. High temperatures in the Anza Borrego during the week of July 22nd when the couple went missing ranged from 106 to 117 degrees Fahrenheit. Shortly thereafter, Fitzpatrick's four-wheel Toyota Tacoma was found damaged and abandoned in the area south of the Harper Flat. The date the truck was discovered has not been released. 
Attorney Schmidt got word of the discovery over the weekend. You have a 47-year-old woman with two beautiful daughters, one in college. The young girl is something like seven years old, and all of a sudden they don't have a mother. And so it hits you that it's a tragedy. Jin flew to California on July 14th from her home in China to meet up with Fitzpatrick, who lived in Morongo Valley. Covered a disappearance there, by the way. She came here for romantic purposes, had been texting him for something like six months prior to coming here. And they definitely had rapport. And her expectation was that he was going to show around the area, Morongo Valley, Morongo Basin, Joshua Tree State Park, and see the, whether their relationship developed. Fitzpatrick's truck remains abandoned in the desert, according to a law enforcement source uh, uh, who said it's going to take a helicopter to get it out. So even to this day, his truck is still out in that desert. I guess people go go out there and see it if they wanted. Editor's update on November 2nd, 2023, the San Diego County Sheriff's Department responded to a CBS public, a public records request by stating, uh, the truck was located on September 4th. So here we are two months later. The truck is still out there. Uh, in addition, I can confirm re- remains were found in Anzo Borrega Park. The remains were located in the general vicinity of Mr. P- Fitzpatrick. So Jin Fang's remains and John Fitzpatrick's remains were found near each other, although in the same area, I guess not beside each other. The remains have not been positively identified by the medical examiner's office at this time. I cannot confirm whether our office will be doing a press release at this time as we have not received information, which may lead us to conducting one. Hazel So is helping the family friends of Fang Jin as she had no one in the States to find info. Long story short, I sent emails to the family of the guy missing with her. I was put on three-day timeout for getting involved. Hazel then banned because I admitted I continue to help family research. Even after mods had stated web sleuth members must not get involved. Um, I don't, Hazel, I don't know if that's exactly uh, what they say there. I think that having had the owner of web sleuth on Unfound earlier this year, she certainly wants people to get involved. Um, what they want to avoid is calling out people and using people's names and, and things like that. Um, and maybe some other things, I don't know all their rules there, but certainly, uh, the owner of web sleuth certainly wants people to get involved. So, and Hazel says, I actually have an inside update. Um, I guess you could put it here, and uh, we'll see what I think about it, Hazel. If you want to type it here, you can. Uh, I am the moderator. Of course, Shree is the moderator, and she and I will uh, take a look at that, and whatever you have to write, uh, we'll decide if we can keep it in there or not. So if you want to give an inside update, you can, uh, but I can't guarantee once we read it, you know, if it's too salacious or something, uh, then – I will have to delete it, but that's totally up to you. Um, anything else? Uh, did that, talked about that, talked about him, talked about Madison Scott. So, um, oh, yes. One more thing very quickly. If you didn't know, um, part of the manifesto, was released 
from the shooter uh, who shut up, killed three people at, at the Covenant, Nashville Covenant shooting, remember, for some months ago. You remember that? Uh, probably most people remember it because they actually have badge cam of the police going in and eventually shooting uh, the killer. Well, part of the manifesto has finally been released. There have been a lot of politics and everything around this, which I'm going to avoid. But I happen to believe this is at least part of the manifesto. I don't believe this is some uh, scam or, you know, hoax or anything like that. I don't know why it got released now. It very well may be that somebody released it uh, illegally or, or something surreptitiously and they weren't supposed to. It's certainly possible. But the only part I want to talk about regarding it is that something we have to remember, and this goes back to, of course, the shooting in in Lewiston, Maine a few weeks ago. The people who do these massacres know they're going to die. Just going back to the Las Vegas shooting, the largest massacre outside of a terrorist attack uh, in the United States, that guy knew going in that he was going to got, die. Certainly the guy who committed the Lewiston, Maine, he knew uh, massacres, two different locations. He knew he was going to die. And even this killer, whose name I'm not going to mention, uh, in the Nashville Covenant shooting, in the, ma- the, the manifesto that this killer wrote, also knew that death was, would be the ultimate um, price for this. In fact, the killer stated that the prediction was there would be like three to seven minutes to kill as many people as possible, maybe 10 minutes at the most. And so we, what we have to realize is that these people do have death wishes, and because they have that, there's really no way to stop them. There's no fear there of getting caught or anything because their plan is to die anyway. And there isn't any sort of laws regarding anything, uh, regarding mental illness or guns or anything else that can stop these people. Once somebody decides, I want to die, and I want to die in the process of killing other people, that's it. They will find a way to do it. That's just the way it is. And all we can do, at least here in the United States is create fewer areas where people are undefended. It is, now in Maine, you know, they they are allowed to carry guns there. So why somebody didn't do something, I don't know. But certainly in schools where, of course, guns aren't allowed, these are areas where people are undefended. So, uh, and it's very sad. But this is what talking about last week or the week before, keeping your heads on swivels. We have to understand the nature of these people, and they want to die. This is not something like people going in, shooting up a 7-Eleven, killing a clerk, and getting away. Those people want to get away. The people that do these kinds of massacres and stay on property and shoot up as many people, they know they're going to die. They know it. Um. Rockford, if you live in Southern California, any morongo makes you think of cheesy casino ads and advertisements for things like a two-month John Lovitz residency. Yeah, Morongo Valley, yes, right. Okay, so I just wanted to mention that just to, to remind you all of uh, the mentality of people who do things like that. 
This Friday, uh, I'm going to make public uh, a recording that I did a few months ago for all Patreon and YouTube supporters. And this Friday will be all disappearances on Unfound that have been somewhat resolved. You might remember about a month ago, I had a special episode that came out on a Monday. And that was all the Unfound Nows disappearances that have been resolved. Remember I did that? Well, this Friday, I'm going to go, and it's either, like I said, I did this recording a couple months ago. Um, I go through all of the disappearances that we've covered on Unfound to this point that have been somewhat resolved. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Andrea Bowman and Zoe Campos and Austin Pivo and Devin Bond. And the only one I'm going to have to add to that is uh, Jay, um, Dennis J. Lushbaugh because that's one that got resolved within the last couple of weeks. I'm going to add that in there. But that will be this Friday. You're going to, if you've ever wondered how many of these disappearances that Unfound has covered have been somewhat resolved and how many are murders and suicides and, and walk-offs and whatever else, who are these people? I put the list together for you because I care about all of you. And I made a recording of it, and that will be this Friday's episode. I'll have a little bit more. I'll have a little analysis and everything to go along with it, of course, after the you know the, that part plays. But that's what you will hear this Friday. If you've ever been wondering what unfound disappearances have been somewhat resolved, of course, I get determined what resolved means. You're going to find out this Friday. I think that there's a total of 29 of them. So that will be this Friday. The bowling alley was a gun-free zone due to their liquor license. Thank you, uh, Charlie. Thanks for amazing show, uh, Ed. You're very welcome. Thank you. I, I try to work hard. Thank you. And Hazel's getting out as well. Hazel, you're not going to tell us what uh, the inside info is then? That's fine. It's up to you. But, yeah, I'm done too, everyone. Remember, if you want to contact me, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I'm going to be doing some interviews this week. So I think we're going to be covering disappearances for the the rest, uh, every Friday for the rest of the year. Uh, but this week, like I said, Friday, uh, a resolved episode for all the unfound podcast disappearances. That's all I got. Hope you enjoyed it. Give it a thumbs up. Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. PayPal.me forward slash unfound podcast. Thank you all uh, for all the comments, questions, and everything else. Stay safe out there. Keep your heads on swivels. Charlie, say hello to the boys for me.